I fell out of love. I wanted something different. For me, I'm such a heart-centered, passionate person. And the game that I signed up for without knowing initially had changed so much that I was no longer having fun. And I was no longer interested in doing what I was doing every single day. And for me, if that's the case, it's time to do something different. I had learned so much. I always say that Yum Butter was like my entry ticket to the game. It really beat me up so bad that I'm like, okay, cool. I feel like I was initiated. It took me 14 years to get initiated, but I felt like, okay, that was that I needed to go through that in order to do what it is that I'm going to do. For the first time, I was getting depressed. I was like, I don't even know who this guy is. And to me, that's the first indicator that I need to do something different. I need to do something different. Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selleck, and I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas, what I call the seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome, Seven Hatters. In this episode, we speak with Matt Damore and dive deep into hats one, three, four, and seven, the soul, servant, entrepreneur, and seeker, as we take a 15-year integrative journey from CPG to CBO. Matt is now the CBO, the Chief Vision Officer of Subtle Distinctions, a company helping entrepreneurs and leaders make thoughtful decisions that generate massive impact. He's a visionary on a mission to improve the lives of others. As an entrepreneur with over 15 years of experience, he is passionate about supporting and growing mission-based companies and creating more goodness worldwide. Matt began his entrepreneurial journey as a founder of Yumbutter, a better-for-you CPG brand. And through many years of getting kicked in the nuts, he developed his superpowers in coaching others on how to eat, move, and be happy branding strategy, business growth, development, and execution. With three successful startups, including two national brands, Matt has some incredible golden nuggets to share. So if you're ready to create more goodness in the world and still leave a legacy, let's welcome Matt to The Seven Hats. Matt, welcome to The Seven Hats. Thank you so much, Yuval. Thank you. You know, you and I share a long history. Uh, We first met around... 2010, I believe, in Air One, yep. which is an incredible, holistic and natural organic retailer in Los Angeles, for those who don't know. You know, when you enter Air One, you find every self-proclaimed guru, Peloton missionary and yoga <laughs> works mama right within a 20-mile radius, ready to spend their big bucks on for probably sure. the most incredible and, and highest quality products that, that money can buy. I mean, it's a really interesting store. Yeah. But back then, I believe I was demoing my skincare product, Luvala, with my wife, and yeah. you were demoing your brand. I think it was a granola brand, or maybe it was Yum Butter. Was it yeah, granola it or Yum Butter? Was, it was the first, it was a Cereal Revolution was the brand, and that was the, my first 
take at uh, putting something uh, into the marketplace in the natural food industry. Yeah, so that was it. And I remember because mm-hmm. I tasted it, and obviously mm-hmm. sampling works because we got connected, and you were yeah. te- you were testing my skincare. So we got so we connected, right? And we kept in sure. touch ever since. Uh, yeah. We even worked together with my company Promesh, where mm-hmm. we helped you manage your field marketing program for a few years. Now, absolutely, I'm very excited though uh, to have you on the show because you're such a stand up guy. You really are, and and someone who exudes and practices pretty much the entire lineup of the seven hats. So when asking you to be a guest on the podcast, I really was hoping that we can cover as many hats as time will allow us. So, you know, because the thing is, you have such a breadth of knowledge and experience, and I believe our seven hatters will gain some incredible insights from our conversation. Now, before we go there, though, my belief is that the person we are today sprouted from the person we used to be. And so I'd love to go back and start with the following, okay? Where were you born and how was your childhood like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So fundamentally, I believe in, in that path as well. Of all. So um, I was born in uh, Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, which is a suburb of Milwaukee. It's a, about halfway between Milwaukee and Madison for anyone who knows Wisconsin geography. And at about age of, I think it was nine, my family moved up to this very small town called Wisconsin Dells. And it's a tourist trap that was for people of Chicago for the most part. And at that point in time, it was very seasonal. And so there was a working season of Memorial Day to Labor Day. And my parents were in the hospitality industry. So a big part of my coding or my upbringing lied in understanding how to take care of people and how to be of service and also like establishing a a pretty hard work ethic from the beginning so when i was young i was you know cleaning rooms i was taking care of the lawn helping my dad with pretty much anything and everything and being exposed to that lifestyle so the entrepreneurial lifestyle that was all i knew growing up before that my my dad was actually he sold used tires and mm-hmm. so they they then transitioned to property management management which then transitioned them into eventually buying our own place in the dells and expanding that so a big part of my childhood was spent working and understanding how business from a foundational level operated and it, it was it was interesting because my dad never really like sat me down and was like oh Matt like this is you know what we're doing here it was very much like I was just hanging along and riding in the truck and you know doing things that uh, they needed to have done in a way that I got to observe and to witness and I think foundationally what came out of that for me besides just understanding the importance of of hard work was understanding how to treat people was a really, really big one. But but practically, as it relates to being an entrepreneur, just like understanding the, the foundational block and tackling of what, at the end of the day, no matter what business you're in, no matter what you're doing, what are the components that you can fall back on that, to me, feel like they're at the core of any sort of business. So, so that's a little bit about that. And then from when I was in uh, high school, I moved to Madison, Wisconsin, which was about an hour away from where I was in the Dells to go to high school. I stayed there for college, went to UW-Madison and studied business. And then from there, traveled for a while after college and eventually made my way to Colorado for a couple of years. 
came back to uh, Wisconsin, and then that's when I started Yum Butter. Um, nice. And I was there for a while, and then kind of brings me brings me to present. Any uh, siblings? I've got one brother. He is 45, so he's about four years older than myself. He took a different path, so he was in the entertainment industry. So he was in Los Angeles, and that's why I knew about Air One, because I was coming to see him, and I was always super interested, because back home, I mean, Madison was fairly alternative. We had some really good co-op scenes there, but it wasn't as like a Los Angeles and Air One. So anytime I would go to visit him, of course, with my interest in um, where it was, I was always so excited to to go. And that's where, you know, I was introduced to Air One. So that's why I was I was actually out in Los Angeles. It was because of him. Lots of actors are in Air One. They can't afford the food, but they're there. So... <laughs> Yeah, he didn't. He wasn't into the acting side of things. He was more into the production and music. Mm-hmm. So he he was uh, there for actually about twenty five years and just recently moved out. So nice. And so, what do you? What did your parents expect of you? What do you think their their hope was? That's a really that's a the expectations. That's a great question. I would say that my parents' truest expectation of myself was to do my best. And I was thinking about this because I was actually talking to another coach yesterday, a woman who we're in conversation with. And I was letting her know that ultimately my parents supported me in a really, really amazing and beautiful way. And I think that in return, what they asked for was that I just apply whatever it is that I have, my inherent gifts and the gifts that I cultivate. And, and you know, go back to the basics of treating people well doing my best and in doing something that contributes to the world in a positive way, I think would be there. That'd be my answer. Got it. So you graduated from college and then what was the next thing that you've done? After I graduated, I decided to take off uh, with a friend to Europe and we went to Europe for eight months and it was like, we had nothing planned. I remember we, we, the first night we got into Prague, we didn't have a reservation. We didn't like, you know, have any sort of currency exchanges and stuff like that. And that was, we just flew, like flowed the whole trip. So after that, we came back, we said, let's keep the party going. And so we moved to Boulder and this was back in 2005 and moved to Boulder for about a year and a half. And then it was at that point in time where the gentleman who I was traveling with and then was living with in Boulder, he came up to Fort Collins. I decided to go back to Madison and that's, that was pretty much the, the path after college. And then from there I actually started Inside Out Wellness. So Inside Out Wellness was before any of my food uh, endeavors. And for me, I started to get into holistic health, you know, and of all sorts of shapes and kinds in pretty much in college. And then when I came back, I started to, to study with Paul Check. I'm not sure if you know of Paul Check, but he's kind of on the fringe. But in my opinion, uh, someone who comprehensively has put as many of the pieces together as I've found as it relates to someone's overall health and well-being. And I got deep into all the practices and all the different courses and all the different offerings that he has. And so I started my own practice and it was primarily based in doing a lot of movement, kind of coaching with people, but grounded in therapeutic rehab, then deeper into the nutrition. And this is kind of now getting into a little bit more of like overall trajectory of how I see life and what I'm about. And and ultimately when I was there, I was realizing that like, oh, okay, so I'm, I'm really working with people in a, a physical way. 
and I'm helping them move their body appropriately. And I'm, I'm supporting them and guiding them the best way I know how to, to teach them how to listen to their body, to understand what to put in their body. But I'm capping out. And so for me, the next place was like, okay, I want to be able to be of service to people the most I can. And I'm only reaching this limit. So I said, what's the next level? And the next level is the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. And that's really then where I began to dive deep into a lot of practices. I started studying with a shaman for 10 years, really understanding kind of the different powers and, and the ability to kind of connect into different energies to help there, started studying psychology. And then for me, that was really when my own path of personal growth started to really amplify because I said, okay, I can only really go with people where I've been myself. Hmm. And if I want to be of the most service to people, then I have to take myself to the, to the core and I have to dedicate myself and my being here of knowing me so I can know them. And that was for me, the, the deep, deep why of really to dedicating myself to personal growth and transformation on a level that was to be of service to other people. So then from there, I started my practice inside out wellness. And my goal there was basically just to introduce people to the foundational principles of, hey, let's pay attention to our sleep. Let's pay attention to how we're moving our body, our thoughts, the type of water we're drinking, you know, all these kind of core base core components of health and see what can happen from that. Because I think that if we start addressing those, a lot of these other things that are potentially aiding in you, whether it's, you know, we've got these aches and pains, you can't sleep, you're depressed, you know, constipation, whatever the hell it might have been, you start to see it go away. And then after that, I was starting to make food for my clients. So that's actually how I started to get into the cereal revolution. And I was into sprouting and dehydrating. I was into, you know, 100%, you know, just kind of whole food organic. And so I was making the food, the kind of the classic story, right? You're making the food for yourself. And then I was just giving, give, giving it away to my clients. And they were like, oh, this is really great. And so one thing led to another. I found a, a really cool... Um, model at the time that was not out there. It was called the Wisconsin Innovation Kitchen, which was the first primarily only place in the U.S. that was doing small scale processing. And it was done primarily by people with disabilities, which was amazing. So it was about an hour away because Wisconsin has a lot of really cool resources as it relates to food. And so I started I was contracting local butternut squash from a farmer and local aronia berry and bringing in as much kind of whole food, vegetable-based stuff, processing it, drying it, and then I was packaging it. And I was doing all that myself. So I was running and set out wellness at the time, did the little cereal line. And then at that point in time was around when I was introduced to Adrian, who became my business partner with Young Butter and Own Boys Food Movement. And we were introduced under the, actually it was a, a local forager at that point in time when Whole Foods still had that position. It was a woman and she said, hey, you guys are cut from the same cloth. I think you're, you know, really interesting and would love to connect. And so I connected with Adrian. I was like, hey, here's what I'm up to. And, and we really bonded on the concept of creating a business that was the type of businesses that we wanted to see in the world. You know, we had just read Let My People Go Surfing from Yvonne Chouinard. You know, Tom's Shoes at that time was just you know, that buy one, you know, give one model was just starting to become something where not everybody really adhered to that. I took them to, I, I used to have a rock garden where I'd go stack rocks 
and it was my, my meditation practice. And I had this, you know, just massive garden with all these different boulders and small stuff. And I would just go there and stack them and the next morning might, they might be done. So I said, hey, come on over to my rock garden. So Adrian came over. We had an instant connection. And I said, you know, what do you think about joining forces and doing this together? I said, let's do this. And so one thing led to another. We're like, we're in. And that's when the Own Boys food movement was born. And so then I was doing Inside Out Wellness for a little bit and doing the food line. And then it got, you know, where I was just working 90 hours a week. And I said, okay, I'm going to make the, you know, bridge the gap. And then decided that for me, and even to this day, which is cool that it's resurfaced in what I'm doing now, I said, I'm going to take Inside Out Wellness with me. And I don't have to have a business card. I don't have a shingle. I don't have to have a physical building. But wherever I go and whoever I interact with, I can share that love that I have for what that is. And so that's why a lot of the platform with Yum Butter was of that vein, because I was trying to channel my passion and my purpose through now a nut butter platform, right? So it was like, great. At first, it was like a direct one-on-one service-based company where I'm working with people. But now I shifted, but like, I'm like, I'm still on this mission, but now I got nut butter to sell. So how am I going to do this? And so that's why Yum Butter was really built off this brand of, you know, love ultimately and how we set it up with the buy one feed one program and what we did. Cause we, I mean, we started with working with kids locally in Madison and then we expanded it out to folks in Shela, Guatemala. You know, we were the third B Corp in the state of Wisconsin. And so we, we were doing whatever we could to basically say, Hey guys, we think that business can be run differently and we want to do our best to show that it can be fiscally responsible and sustainable on top of doing all these good things as opposed to like, yeah, we're doing all these good things and we're not making any money and we're not paying ourselves and our employees aren't happy, which tends to happen a lot when you've got too much of a grandiose mission, but you're not grounded enough to actually know how to run a financially stable company. So I got off track there a little bit involved, but um, I think that may have put some of the pieces together. So I'll pause there because I feel like <laughs> I a little run. No worries. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I do know, I've heard of Polchak. I don't know much about him, uh-huh. but I have heard of Polchak. I think he, there's an institute that he's got, mm-hmm. uh, that he started. Um, mm-hmm. It was more about kinesiology, I believe, mm-hmm. that he was you know, working towards. But anyway, but I'm, I'm happy we started with hat number two, which is the health and wellness hat. I think that's, that's a great hat to start because in business, what I've learned is that when you start a company and you become an entrepreneur, and if you focused all your focus all your efforts on building the business and you don't pay attention to the first two hats which is self love we'll cover that in a, in a bit and health and fitness then your business will fail and that's mm-hmm. the funny part because we feel as entrepreneurs that if we just focus on the business right it's going to work out mm-hmm. but if you don't have the energy and the mindset and the um, philosophies behind running that business right then that ultimately will be your downfall. But mm-hmm. when you, and I love Inside Out Wellness, I love that, that name. Mm-hmm. Let's start off with, were there any pains with running Inside Out Wellness? What did you discover as a first time entrepreneur before you went off and transitioned over to a CPG entrepreneur? Yeah, I would say first and foremost is being a solopreneur and having to do it all. And at that time I was in, you know, my mid to late twenties 
the, the classic you don't know what you don't know, which was everything at the time. And, you know, for me, a lot of times when I look back, I'm like, how in the hell did I make it through a lot of these situations? Like when, and not to jump to, to Yum Butter, I want to go back, but even like looking at that, like we didn't do any research on the CPG industry. We didn't even know what, I mean, we didn't know anything about the pricing structure, like, but what we did know is that we were fueled by passion and we had an openness and a humility to figure things out and just be like, and to show up to people and be like, we don't actually know what we're doing, but we're okay with that, but we're here to figure it out. And so, um, you know, with, with, um, with Inside Out Wellness, I think the, the big challenge was A, working on the business and working in the business at the same time and balancing those things of like, man, I'm, I'm like super tired and I need to like figure out how to promote and get more clients and also developing my skills alongside of that and, and paying for continuing education, which is, is expensive and figuring out like at that time, it's like, okay, do I invest more in myself and, and further my skills? Do I put that money towards marketing? And then there's just the the, a lot of the self-doubt that comes up into it as well, which is like, okay, am I, am I really making an impact with these clients? I want to bring value. Are they paying me, you know, a significant sum that I kind of perceived at that time? So am I bringing this value to them? You know, is this, and then just kind of the whole notion of how can I grow this? Is this sustainable? I don't want to be banging hourly, you know, individual hour sessions for the rest of my life, you know? So like all of those types of things. Um, and I think too, not understanding, I had a decent idea of how the economics may work, but I didn't really play it out long-term. You know, I'd rented a really nice, beautiful space that was in this fun part of town because I wanted to have an environment that felt and matched you know, what I was in, um, embodying and sharing and offering to people, but that was expensive too. So then I would like basically just break, you know, even on my rent and like, okay, now it's like, shoot, we're three quarters of the month or three quarters of the way through the month and, and just the grind and in keeping that positivity up, I think is also challenging. Like you're in an environment where you're there to support and you're there to inspire and you're there to guide and you're human too. And you're crushing and it's like, so when you absolutely don't want to be there and it's now the sixth session of the day and you got to put your happy face on, you know, how, what does that actually look like for you to be authentic alongside of, you know, um, also being of service and to being a guide to people. Um, and so showing your humanity in a way that's still professional, but like, I think there's like, I think there's a really beautiful, and you kind of spoke into that before we started about how do you remain completely transparent and open and vulnerable and real and still play within a professional boundary that doesn't then kind of flip it and turn it into a therapy session for you or make it like it's, I don't want to say healing yourself on them, but I think in, in, that's, in that environment, it happens quite a bit. So those would be some of the the early, early challenges for sure of inside out wellness. It's so funny because entrepreneurship is such a glamorous business from mm -hmm. the social media front, right? Uh -huh. When you're looking or, or the media front in general, you're seeing yeah. these CEOs having a great time. What young entrepreneurs don't realize is 95% of the time that you spend building a business, growing a business, 
Mm-hmm. That's the tedious day-to-day work where you have to put on a smile, where you have mm-hmm. to encourage a team, where you have to show up for a client. And you don't want to be there a lot mm-hmm. of times. A lot mm-hmm. of times you're like, oh, that is not what I want to do. My passion is creating this, uh-huh. putting out that, helping the world. But the mm-hmm. realities of it, until you get to be that Richard Branson, where you can just have fun for the most part, it takes years and years and years of grind and dedication. And I think mm-hmm. you saw that in your initial business. Mm-hmm. But then you took entrepreneurship to a whole new level mm-hmm. and you became a CPG entrepreneur, which mm-hmm. is even more difficult than a regular mm-hmm. entrepreneur, I, I feel. Because yeah. now it's not in your hands completely. Now you got to deal with distributors and brokers and retailers and shoppers and the message of one-to-one is -hmm. very different than a message from one-to-many, which is what Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship in the CPG space is. So, Yum Butter, you have a good, you know, direction of naming your brands very well. Uh, Yum Butter (laughs) is a great name and it also tasted incredible. Awesome, thanks. So you had this catalyst of, of, of bringing the CPG brand um, up to life. Uh-huh. What were the initial lessons learned with Yum Butter? What did it take to be passionate about food and then actually manufacture, produce, distribute, and market that to the public? Yeah. Whew. So initial lessons. So looking back, I would say one is... Wow. Um, I think the biggest lesson overall was to ultimately step back and um, see what that path was going to be. I I guess I didn't, I would have put so much more research into things than I did, but in a way that it almost would have prevented me from going into the space, if that makes sense. But I wish I would have balanced it a little bit more because I think we would have been able to be a lot more efficient, a lot more effective, save time and money. So that for for me was was a big one, which was, okay, that's awesome that we were just, we were gung-ho. We were like, we're going to do it. We're going to save the world. You know, we're, we're going to jump into this space that we have no idea about. But balancing that and saying, okay, so now where where does your where does the research and the R and D and all that all that type of stuff come in? The other lessons was that really understanding what it's going to take from me physically and mentally and emotionally. I knew it was going to be challenging. I saw my parents go through some very, very hard times. So I wasn't naive to the complexities and the difficulty of running a business. But I didn't, I didn't know the, I didn't really know to the extent and I didn't know what that pressure was going to feel like. And as soon as we started to take uh, financial, you know, income from people when in investment form, and then all of a sudden, like I had personal guarantees on all that money and everything like that. I think that for me, another big lesson would have been to really, really, really sit down and understand the economics a little bit more as opposed to 
go in with, okay, this is the plan and this is how like we really feel it's going to work out. But, um, you know, planning for the worst case scenario. And if you're okay with that, then proceed forward. And that was another, um, another big one. I also didn't understand all the different, and this kind of go back, goes back to the parts, just the difficulty and like the nuancedness of a consumer, the psychology of a buyer. You know, I was in my own head being like, well, this tastes good to me. And, you know, I, I like this kind of stuff and this branding looks kind of cool. And I feel like we've got a good story. So man, others must think that's the case too, right? Not so much. And I think that was a really, and it's, it's so funny because I have applied that concept to most stuff now, which is like, okay, I feel like I have a decent idea, just a little bit of the mind of the average human. Like, you know, how they look at things, how they perceive the world, how they interact with things, what are their behaviors and their preferences, and how does that map onto the offering that you're, you're, you know, you're giving? So I would say, like, those are some of the uh, initial lessons. And just to also be okay with ambiguity, with not necessarily knowing all the answers or a lot of uncertainty was a huge, another one, just like constantly riding in this massive pool of uncertainty and ambiguity so you know you brought up a twitch i i I thought i got rid of it you know from from my misery miserable days in cpg but that that story just brought that twitch back up i I will say I, i i will say that you could not have convinced me otherwise when we started luvala the skincare line uh-huh. that we would not be successful, that we would not be the next L'Oreal. And mm-hmm. the reason why, and I'm going to, this is, heed the warning, entrepreneurs, your product and your baby is ugly at times, right? You got to mm-hmm. understand that. Mm-hmm. It's not always beautiful. And just because you think it is, we thought our product was stellar, which it was. Mm-hmm. We had a s- French skincare line, right? Best of the best, mm-hmm. best formula. Ticked all the, checked all the boxes, organic, mm-hmm. vegan, animal mm-hmm. cruelty-free, certified up the wazoo, the mm-hmm. whole thing. We put everything on the packaging, which was mm-hmm. a mistake, by the way. We put everything mm-hmm. on the packaging. The packaging was gorgeous. We spent, I don't know. It was beautiful. I remember. Yeah, totally. Over $100,000 on, on an agency to, to, put a, a, to create packaging that was glorious and the website cost us $60,000 for a website back in 2005 and that was that's that's how much website cost that much because we didn't have Wix right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it was just an incredible showing on the shelf and we failed miserably Mm -hmm. okay and we failed miserably because the customer doesn't see it your way unless you tell them so and to tell them so costs you a lot of money. And mm-hmm. if you don't have the money to support your launch to larger scale retailers, uh, you are going to get discontinued, which ha- was what happened to us. But you were, I mean, that was pretty impressive. I, I don't know if we even got to as many stores as you, 4,500 mm-hmm. stores. Mm-hmm. What were your challenges when you were experiencing that growth velocity? You you uh, hit on one of the biggest ones, which is not understanding how much it was going to take to support 
the, you know, the turns and the, the sales within the store. I think for, for me, it was like, great. That was, that was the, that was the mountain peak of just getting in. And I was like, Oh, getting in is like the starting gate, yeah. not necessarily like the end. And to me in the beginning, it was like, Oh, we hit the Holy grail. We got into, you know, whole foods, Southern California region. Amazing. It's like, well, that's just the beginning. So I think, um, that was a big one, had no idea how to manage and budget and also didn't understand the nuances of really establishing the relationship with the store itself and with the buyers. I think we were so focused on whether it be the distributors or the brokers, not necessarily understanding the, the, the true dynamics within the store and uh, how all the promotional stuff worked out. And, and that's, I mean, where promo match came in, right? Just that whole strategy and just, and then start mapping it out as things scaled and having them just figure out how they all work together and then balance that with all the cash flow because it's like, oh, they're buying off invoice four times a year. So like we're not even making full margin for 24 weeks and then they're doing spot buying. And now like, so all of those different components had no idea how to, that they were all going to need to be looked at and addressed when scaling. I would say the second big one that we learned was just a classic line, slow down to speed up. And so with the pouches and the fact that we were pioneering the pouches with nut butters, we had gone through a decent amount of R&D, but not like probably to the extent that I would do now, knowing what I know. And we had an initial launch on the west coast and i would say 50 percent of those pouches leaked mm. because basically that oil can permeate through all sorts of seals so if there was a, a tiny bit of oil even anywhere in that initial seal it would create a channel leak and so that was massive for us and i think i had the understanding of all right let's we want to capture the market we want to be first to market and then we can really have that competitive advantage and I still see stuff, you know, like for example, the, you know, 140,000th bar that still comes on the market, right? And somehow they get distribution, it catches, and they're successful. And I thought the bar space was completely packed in 2005, okay? 20, almost 20 years later, people are still doing bars. And it's like, you gotta be kidding me, right? And it still, still works. So applying that concept, I would have gone over, I would have gone execution over timeliness any day, right? So great, be the 50th pouch on the market. And if you execute better and you have a better plan and you're, you're well-funded, chances are you're going to be more successful than if you were the first, didn't have everything quite dialed in. And so I would have probably slowed things down significantly in a way that was like, nope, I'm going to, we're going to stop the growth a little bit here. And we're just going to like fine tune and hone. We're going to find a system of all the different dynamics that really work. And then we're going to hit the gas. But when things are popping and all of a sudden you go from being in your uh, two co-ops in local Madison to 500 stores on the West coast, like all the, it's like, this is it. This is what we're doing. It's working. The dream's happening, you know? And then all of a sudden it's like smack. And yep. then you get the reality of like, okay, so that would have, probably been something I would have for sure done differently. But you got to admit that first PO, that large PO, you know, uh -huh. the 20,000, 50,000 dollar PO that you get, uh -huh. yeah. that's a good feeling. That you, that's a feeling. really yeah. really good feeling. 
Yeah. Before knowing that six months later you're going to get discontinued from that retailer, but for now, <laughs> sure. for that for that first time, it's just so yeah. good. I remember uh, the first big large PO we had was was from Whole Foods Rocky Mountain. It was for twenty five thousand dollars, and it was sizable at that time for us. Uh-huh. Um, and then we grew into most regions of Whole Foods, and, and and that's the that's the scary part, is that when you outgrow your ability to support the stores. Mm-hmm. That's when you fall into. Tr- that's when you get into trouble because uh-huh. trade spend, and that's what's called. You know, trade spend is the is the amount of money that you spend um, on your expense line on your P and L to mm-hmm. support your retail distribution and and sales. And part of it is the ability to promote, and part of it is the ability to pay to play because you have your everyday low prices and slotting fees and and then you have deductions coming through which no entrepreneur is ready for CPG first time entrepreneur is ready for because then mm-hmm. you have your shortages and your spoilage and returns and you're like what the hell I'm supposed mm-hmm. to get a check for $10,000 and my check is $300 where did mm-hmm. $9,700 go and yep. that those are just deductions that are coming through but here's the the issue I think just in agreeing with what you were saying the cards are stacked against you and the people and the players that are there supposedly for your benefit that are supposed to help you are actually not. They're mm-hmm. helping themselves first. Now, this is a blanket statement, guys, I know. I'm not saying all people are like this. I'm not saying all brokers and distributors and retailers are like this. They're not, but we're talking general now. In generality, the brokers care about themselves first. So what mm-hmm. they're going to do is they're going to try to convince you to have as many promotions, as many sales as possible, because they know that when there is a sale, more people will buy and they get a fatter check as a commission. They don't really care that long-term you are going to lose your ass and you're going to go out of business because for them, there's another CPG brand that's right around the corner that they can you know, work with, okay? There are very few brokers, one of which is a partner of ProMesh. I'm going to give them a shout out. Space Station CPG, Corey and Kimball. Shout out to you guys. It's all about transparency. When you have brokers and distributors who care about the brand, they work with the brand and they allow them to, maybe they're not going to make a ton of margin initially, but they're going to work with the brand so the brand can succeed and they can have a long-term relationship with them but that's not the norm in the industry and and that's that's a shame and i think you got to kind of go through it you got to be a cpg entrepreneur to understand the ups and downs i will say a final statement on cpg entrepreneurship and and just what it takes find yourself the right people i call them sherpas to climb mount everest Mm -hmm. because you can climb mount everest chances are you're going to die so that's why you have a sherpa Okay, Mm -hmm. to help you avoid the falls Mm -hmm. and certain death. And so that's, and I'm not saying even with a Sherpa, you can die, but there's less Mm -hmm. of a chance because they know what they're doing. So mentors, partners, Mm -hmm. those that you really trust that care about you will go a long way. Now, let's Mm -hmm. move out of that segment. Let's let's move into relationships. Mm -hmm. When I met you, I believe you were married, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Any kids? No. Okay. How was that in terms of, because I know how difficult it is 
to not only be married, marriage is difficult as it is, two people with different goals and, and ideas coming together and living in one mm-hmm. under one roof. But now you add the pain and the frustration and complexity of a business on top of it. How was that for you? Did you get the support that you needed? If not, how important is support for an entrepreneur? Tell us a little bit about that relationship. Yeah. So I would say that, yeah, that's it's interesting because my mom and my dad were entrepreneurs together. So that was the model that I got to see. You work with your partner. And the woman who I was in relationship at that time was not an entrepreneur, was supportive in her own way, but also didn't quite know really like what it took and where I was at in the stage of the business and like how difficult it was uh, for me. So I, th- I would say the biggest way that it, it, it affected our relationship was financially. In the early days of Young Butter, when things you know were still getting going, things were really, really, really thin. And so I was working literally 90-hour weeks. So what does that do? That increases my stress. There's less time connection there. And, um, and I'm focused on keeping that relationship alive as opposed to the relationship alive, you know, with, with my life partner. So it was challenging. And I would say that if the economics were different, I think that would uh, change things significantly, but not every, not fully. In terms of the support that I was needed, I would have to say, and this is probably really difficult to, to admit, is no, I, I, I didn't have the support that I needed. And it was interesting because this person was also going through an incredibly unique period of her life as well. She was much older than me, so she was going through her midlife changes physically Mm. and so there was like a whole bunch of concoction of emotions happening because of physical changes and i was going through a whole bunch of emotional and mental changes and so those those didn't really kind of work out too well we you know grounded our relationship in love and support and then eventually realized that you know it was probably best for us to take different paths but i would say that for me in that time it would have I, 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 you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. If maybe she was in the business, and if how that might have changed certain things, um, ultimately. But uh, yeah, it was it was a lot because I was doing everything I could just to hold on for dear life myself, let alone be there and show up and support and and also be open to receiving the support that I needed and an understanding. But I think the financial pressure was the one that just stomped on her neck. So we learn a lot from our mistakes. What would you recommend to young entrepreneurs who are newly in a relationship, married, married, etc., mm-hmm. uh, who are entering the the challenges of this mm-hmm. ride that they're about to embark on? Mm-hmm. What would you suggest in terms of relationships that they could do to at least allow for a greater chance of success based yeah. on what you've learned? Yep. I would say, which I think can be applicable to a lot of different situations, is setting up the container in a way that really begins to speak about the potentiality of things that could happen. For example, hey, love, I'm, you know, this is going to take a lot of time from me. And so how are we going to deal? And what is it that you need from me if you start to not see me home for dinner? 
or what that looks like. What is it that you need from me that's like a complete non-negotiable? How can we begin to speak into the things that we know might be the case? When I get super stressed, here's how I'm, I would love to be supported. When you get a little bit frustrated, how is it that you would like to be supported? How can we establish a, a method of communication now when things are good so that when we get into those challenging times, we already have a roadmap? Two is set some boundary levels. Okay, I'm going to be in this for, you know, at least I need your commitment for one year. At, at one year, I'll reassess this with you and we'll see how things are bo- going. But are you able to uh, at least say yes to me going into this venture for one year? And this is what that support can look like? Great. So now we've set up a, a contract, a verbal contract. And I'll even times write it down too that says, okay, I know that you're going to support me no matter what for one year in this. And then we can both renegotiate to see how this is working for us if we bring in kids or however that might be. So I think setting things up like that beforehand goes a a long way. Letting them know like, hey, if we ever hit this amount of, you know, if we ever see this happen or hit this amount of dollars in our bank account or something like that, then that will trigger us to have a conversation. But to really put things into the space that allow there to be enough understanding and enough structure and enough commitment to to navigate when things kind of start to get really tricky. I think that would be uh, one. And then also, I think this is the most important, and, and this would be something that I said to, to Adrian, um, and I think it can be extended to your intimate partner because business partners and intimate partners pretty damn close. I would say that uh, for us, we put our friendship and our relationship above everything else. So when things get super, super challenging, okay, what's the most important thing here in our life? It's you. The business is amazing and, and all that type of stuff. If that's what you decide, some people that hierarchy gets flipped and the business does become more important than the relationship. And then that's you know, whatever unfolds from that is what unfolds, but establishing what's the trump card. And for Adrian and I, the trump card was no matter what, come hell or high water, you and I, how we're treating each other, how we see each other, how we're going to show up for each other, that is the number one thing. So when we're in the throes of it and things are really, really challenging, it's like, okay, what do we need to do to maintain this? Because above all, that shit is great, but that doesn't matter at the end of the day. This is more important. And so I think um, to answer your question, to kind of wrap that up about relationship is to demonstrate that and to let that person know, hey, love, you are the most important thing for me right now. And if you ever see it, if ever appears that it's not, let me know because I want to remind you how much you mean to me. I also want to ask for your support in that I'm going to take some of this energy that potentially could be channeled towards you and I'm going to shift it over here to this other relationship that I'm going to have in my life called my business, which might look like another girlfriend, but it's not, right? <laughs> I'm not cheating on you with her, I promise, right? And then, but be, but, but be patient with me because I'm going out on a journey. I'm going to start to this this quest called you know my, my, my new business and this thing is going to take everything from that it's going to take. And I know I need to know that you're there to support me because I'm going out to battle. And that's really how I see it. It's like, you know, 
entrepreneurs, like you're going out to battle. You got to gear up. You got to like kiss the babies goodbye. And like, you know, you're going out into the battlefield. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, in 2010, I was about to lose my marriage and I'm still married to Allah. It's been, you know, 2004, August 29th, we got married. We've been, we've known each other a year and a half prior, but as good as, as beautiful as our, our love is and was, I was about to lose that marriage. And, and when we started communicating again and through a therapist at that time, because the business will do that. The business will, will take precedence over the, over the spouse mm-hmm. or relationship at times. I would suggest over-communicate. Don't under-communicate, over-communicate. Mm-hmm. That's number mm-hmm. one. And number mm-hmm. two, understand that there's hat number three, and that's your relationships with others. Mm-hmm. And the reason why there's hat number three is because, you know, I always say, there's no balanced life. Life isn't balanced, no such thing. Mm-hmm. But what there is, is a balancing act. And exactly what you said, sometimes the spouse needs your attention and you mm-hmm. got to shift it away from the business or from other, mm-hmm. you know, exercise, whatever yep. it is. Like sometimes a, yep. one of your hats will need attention. Don't neglect mm-hmm. it. Take mm-hmm. time from other hats, put it into mm-hmm. the hat that needs the attention. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the exercise hat, the, you know, the, the wellness mm-hmm. hat or, or the, mm-hmm. the, the entrepreneur hat, that might need attention. And, and you have to ask others around your life, you know, in your life to give you that grace. But if you can try to find some sort of balancing act, juggling those balls throughout mm-hmm. the week, which is why it's so important to schedule mm-hmm. time for mm-hmm. multiple hats throughout the week, you should have enough money in the bank account. And it, you know that saying about the bank account. So if you deposit into a bank account and you mm-hmm. withdraw, right, mm-hmm. you're good. But you got to make sure you have at least mm-hmm. more than zero dollars in the bank account because yeah. you can't withdraw if it's zero. So yeah. you got to you got to deposit, then you might withdraw, then you deposit again, and that's that's a great lesson that that I've learned along the way. Just on that quick, I'm, I love that analogy. I, I use something similar. I, I call it like the, the credit card versus the debit card. And I say, you know, what do we do with credit? We're, we're potentially spending money that we don't have. You know, if like we withdraw our, our, our debit account, Capital One doesn't know that I've got zero dollars, but I got to buy my groceries, right? If I go with my debit card and I go and I don't have that money in, I'm not going to be able to do that transaction. So in life, I see a lot of us going to the to the credit system. We're actually not depositing like you were talking about. And when, what, it ha- what comes with credit? Interest. And you know what interest looks like? It looks like fatigue and cancer and all that stuff, you know? So that's the, uh, that's, that's the, that's the hard life interest. And that's way more than 19% when you're not paying your monthly balance, right? Matt, Matt you brought up the other tick. I was in a million dollars worth of debt with $300,000 of credit cards paying oh, at that point 29% interest oh, oh. on those credit cards. And I'm telling you, you do not want to uh, base your life on credit. Better mm-hmm. use a debit card if possible. Uh, and if you yeah. are using credit, make sure that there's enough money in the bank to pay yeah. off that credit on a monthly yeah. basis if you want to kind of take a loan out. This is getting really interesting, but let's move on to the other side of relationships because 
well, you know, it didn't work out at home. You were struggling. Yeah. So your relationships with your partners and, and, and workers at the business must have been incredible, right? Because you're spending all this time there. How did that go? You know, I, I would say with, with Adrian at Yum Butter, ultimately, I am incredibly uh, proud to say that even to as recently as yesterday, we're still texting, we're still in communication, we're still supporting each other, and our initial commitment to each other still stands. So don't get me wrong, like any other relationship, it definitely had like came with a lot of its challenges. But I would say that from now doing what I'm doing and understanding how people actually treat each other, it blows my mind that when I looked at like kind of what we were doing, I think we did a really good job. But it also came with a tremendous amount of challenges, especially when stuff just wasn't working. And, you know, it's like, okay, what do we got to do? And then the, the hard part for the both of us is like you were talking about before was what happens when your interest wanes? When like, man, screw this, like we're getting just our butt kicked. We're not paying ourselves. The sales velocities are not ex at all where they you know are gonna be. And we got a monthly bill that we we're not gonna be able to figure out how to pay. You know, that that's when things get kind of tough. And then it's like, well, what are we gonna do in the business? You know, what's our specific roles? And you know, there's the role that nobody wants to take because it's the the crappy role, you know, so who's going to take that? And so I think that, uh, for, for the lessons in the business relationship also extended in, in applying the same kind of methodology that we just talked about is establishing those same types of parameters, being communic, you know, ha having the communication like they are your life partner, but they're your business partner. And I think so, so many people don't see them as being similar in a way that they could even be more complicated because now you're even bringing in a whole bunch of other people and a bunch of other money and a bunch of other pressures and stress that you don't have in your, in your, maybe your lifelong partner um, or your relationship partner. But yeah, definitely, definitely challenging for sure. But I think with the intention of keeping our relationship at the center of and the top priority, it helped us really navigate some, some challenging times. So you're no longer with the company that you founded? That's correct. Why is that? I would say at, to answer that question at its core, it's because I fell out of love. I wanted something different. I, For me, I'm such a heart-centered, passionate pers person. And the game that I signed up for without kind of knowing initially had changed so much that I was no longer having fun. And I was no longer interested in doing what I was doing every single day. And for me, if that's the case, it's time to do something different. I am, I, I, it's very hard for me to follow through and to do something and to commit to something that I'm not fully invested in. And so I was, I was happy. I was excited. I had learned so much. I mean, I always say that Yum Butter was like my entry ticket to the game. It really like beat me up so bad that like, I'm like, okay, cool. I feel like I was initiated. It took me 14 years to get initiated, but I felt like, okay, that was that I needed to go through that in order to do what it is that I'm going to do and beyond and beyond. And so when I had that realization, 
that I was no longer deeply in love with what I'm doing in a way that like I was for the first time I was getting depressed Uval. I was like, I don't even know who this guy is. And to me, that's like a, that's the first indicator that I need to do something different. And of course, with all the obligations and the commitments and all the stuff that you've invested in, how do you unwind a lot of that stuff? Where do you go when you've put 14 years of your everything into a project and you realize that you want to shift gears? And so for me, I always knew I wanted to get back working directly with people. That's always been my passion. And I just, you know, with with the Yum Butter opportunity, I wanted to have an idea of how to scale something at a bigger level. But what I realized was like I was using a very unique and odd platform to try to channel really what it was that I wanted to do fully. And that was work directly with people, talking about the things that matter to me the most. And that wasn't like Young Butter wasn't ultimately the appropriate platform for that. So I shifted and decided to, you know, start my integrative coaching company, Subtle Distinctions, which I'm doing now, where it's like, yeah, this, these are the conversations that I, I've wanted to you know, have. And now I'm just giving myself permission to have a direct channel and a direct platform to do that and not have to code it into a jar of, or a pouch of yum butter. So ultimately it was, I fell out of love. You know, it's, it's an interesting time. We are officially closing Luvala, the skincare line, Oh. December 31st, 2022. Hmm. Okay. It's been a long and wonderful ride. In mm -hmm. 2012, we lost our retail distribution and we were on a path to pay back all of our debts. We didn't go into bankruptcy because nice. I did not want to not honor my, my debts. I basically mm -hmm. said, why should the bank cover the mess that I got myself into? Mm -hmm. And so we spent a lot of time when we shifted online to start paying off the debt which we have and getting through the inventory that we you know that we've purchased etc so now we're closing and it's going to be an interesting moment because it is a death mm. in a sense it's it's a friend it's a mm. it's a loved one that you've been with for so many years i don't know how that's going to be for my wife who's uh -huh. been running the business and for me but how is it for you when you when you walked out that door for mm -hmm. the last time, knowing mm -hmm. that Yum Butter is going to continue without you. And mm -hmm. even though you were might have been excited about potential future endeavors, although you probably didn't know what you were going to do at that time, what mm -hmm. was that like for you? It was really, really challenging. And there was other factors kind of at play in there as well. But I would say it was... Yeah, it was a double-edged sword. There was a whole a sense of excitement, a, a sense of relief, anticipation, and then there was a, a sense of of letting go and handing over something that literally had my entire essence in it into the hands of others that I didn't, you know, it was it was questionable on what was going to come of it, right? But it was a good practice for me. It took me a while, Yuval. It took me a while to really like disconnect from it. And it's funny because I still eat yum butter all the time. You know, I've got pouches in my bag and, and everything like that. You know, people on some level still have associations with me and yum butter. But when I see it now, I, I like, there's like a, there's like a, a remembrance of like, oh yeah, that was my thing. And, you know, of course I have a connection and a love to it, but I've fully disconnected from it. 
I have fully disconnected from it in a way that I don't know. It's it's like it's like a chapter of my life that was incredible, and now I it's almost not that it didn't happen because of course I I mean it's it was such a huge monumental moment for me of for these fourteen years, but it's like on some level too it like it's never existed, and I'm like great I'm I'm doing my thing and it's funny because. I've also released that from my identity in a way that when I'm doing uh, either speaking engagements or working with companies, I don't even like to reference it a lot of times. And my business partner, Lynn, would be like, yeah, like, tell them what you did and, you know, tell them, like, what happened and the fact all the different stories. And I'm like, yeah, it just it doesn't even matter to me anymore. Like, it's, it's like that doesn't even at all elicit anything to me that would feel like I even want to share. So it's interesting. I think the stages that I went through was a sense of mourning for sure, a sense of sadness, a sense of wonder of kind of like, and then you've got that whole identity process happening too, right? Because for so long, it's like, yeah, that's Matt. It's the peanut butter guy, right? Or it's like, and and then having that kind of also shift because now, in my world, like no one even knows that about my history. So it's like that I've almost, it's, I've, I've stepped into a new space where I've made an, a new identity. I would say at the end, there's that journey in and of itself is a beautiful one too of, of letting go and releasing and, and really not attaching to that whole thing and realizing and sitting back and be like, what an incredible journey this was um, in a way that like I get to start something new. And I think also we get so tied to having like, well, I have to dig deeper in because this is what I started and this and that. And I'm like, letting go of that has allowed me to let go of so much other stuff in my life. And just to like, yeah, let's keep, keep reinventing yourself, keep being fresh. Like, where are you at now? Cause you have, you took 14 years of this, apply all of that stuff to where you're at now. And that's like, like just incredible value. Right. I mean, as I would say, like I, I got, uh, you know, pay, paid to do a 14 year PhD in, in life yeah. really ultimately was what it was. So now go take that and, 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 and leverage that. And so, yeah, that would be my, my healing slash transition journey in regards to moving on and transitioning from young. I love that. It's, it just goes to show you, it is a journey. It's not a destination. Uh-huh. Every low and end is a beginning to something new. And mm-hmm. if you look at it that way, it's never an ending. It's a transition into something potentially great and incredible, which I know mm-hmm. you transition to. So I'm going to switch topics. I'm going to okay. move to hat number one, which I know is one of your favorites. It's the golden hat, and it is the soul, Mm self-love. And that's the hat that is most important, at least in my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's mindset, belief, self-love, right? It's so important and critical to the ability to get up in the morning and tackle the day as an entrepreneur and as a human. You've been in the trenches for many, many years now, Mm -hmm. uh, probably almost two decades at this point. Mm -hmm. What lessons have you learned about your values, character traits, you know, principles, um, and their relationship to self-love and to the mindset of believing in yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were correct in, in that. That's my favorite category. I would say that um, for me, in specifically in business, and and this is something that 
going back to the very initial, well, not the initial, but what I mentioned earlier uh, about in terms of learning the block and tackling, learning the basic components of business by working with my parents and applying that to like the values and the characteristics and the principles and the virtues is that I think that if you can, I'm a very much a virtues-based person as it relates to integrity or courage or patience or respect or thankfulness or gratitude or all of those and 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 live by those principles i think in the business world it it's going to be really challenging because you're going to get asked all the time by the universe to question or to challenge what you really believe and what you really think. And you're going to, it's going to be easy for you to bend just a little bit or to like, yeah, let's just like let that one go for right now, because it's going to be so much easier for me just to like, let that go so I can have this in the short term. But in the long term, I think the, 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 the biggest lessons that I learned is if you can show up in business and practice and demonstrate those at, at its highest level. And of course, there's going to be times where we could do better or that we fail or that all of that type of stuff. But to me, that is the truest sense of how to be a successful entrepreneur is to, to, to deepen, first identify what are those for yourself? What are your, your own core values? What does it actually look like for you to demonstrate them? And then from there, how do you apply them to all aspects of your life? And in this case, and to your business, because, you know, people do business with people, relationships are at the core of business. And over time, that reputation will win out. And over time, people will want to do business with you. And some stuff just happens for you to be like honored and recognized uh, for your decision to continue to live in that way. And it might not look like what you think it's going to look like, right? But I think at the end of the day, for me, when I go to bed at night, I can go through my mental checklist and say, okay, well, really, what is it that I have in this life? Well, I have my word. I have my integrity, I have my reputation, and that's really it. And so if I can't go to bed saying that I, I did my best in those areas, all the other stuff of how many stores I was in, that stuff just flies way, you know, way off the radar. So to me, I think it's just monumental to at least dedicate yourself to embodying and practicing that in a way that is... I don't know. To me, that's a big portion of what I think we're here to do. I love that. Matt, I can speak with you forever. I have one more question before my yeah. final closing question. Yeah, of course. Otherwise, we'd be a Joe Rogan show, you know, five hours. <laughs> right. And I don't have enough listeners to, uh, to stay that, <laughs> tune in that long. So, <laughs> all right. A spirituality question. Uh -huh. Okay. Because I know if, if had number one, is not your favorite had number seven the yeah. spiritual seeker is yeah. so there's a famous zen quote that goes like this before enlightenment chop wood carry water mm -hmm. after enlightenment chop wood carry yeah. water mm -hmm. what does that quote mean to you and can you relate that to your life's experience as an entrepreneur um, what that quote means to me is that I think that there's an image, there's an idea of what spirituality looks like, tastes like, dresses like, where it goes, out to eat, all of that type of stuff. 
And at its core, I think we forget that the foundational principles of the deepest practices of spirituality is to be present and to go back to those virtues that we talked about. So what is chopping wood and carrying water? It's the, it's a simple discipline that is incredibly difficult, that's not glamorous, right? When we get up and we, we, we're, we're reverent to a practice and to a, a desire, and we're, we're doing something that doesn't have this appeal to it, that at its core is to me one of the deepest expressions of spirituality. I always say, you know, you can be, I like to kind of break people's framework sometimes of what they think. I said, you can be a smoker and you could be a drinker and you could be eating McDonald's every day and you could be the most enlightened person on the planet. You don't have to be wearing your mala beads and drinking kombucha and going to static dance on Friday nights. And so that chop wood carry water to me is like the, the, the remembrance that it's not about anything physical or external or and, and it's about this this deepest kind of energetic imprint inside of yourself and how you show up and live your life and treat people. Wow. I love that. It's very similar to, cause I took a lot of time just thinking about it. Uh-huh. And I was like, what does this mean? When I first read the quote, I was like, what does that mean? What does that mean? And to me, it means that, like you said, you have a practice, your daily grind, mm-hmm. whether you're an entrepreneur or not, you do your day to day. You know, when you travel, it's all fun and games, but when you live there, mm-hmm. it becomes your day-to-day. It doesn't matter where you go. Mm-hmm. It becomes the ordinary. Mm-hmm. And so before you're enlightened, you have the ordinary. But your day-to-day actually does not change when you become enlightened. Mm-hmm. You still have the ordinary. Mm-hmm. I think what the difference is, when you're enlightened, uh-huh. you get to appreciate the ordinary way more than, than if you did prior to being enlightened. Yep. I love that, the appreciation too. And that is, yeah, to be able to look at the things that are seemingly unimportant as the most important, or to to look at the things that you've been looking at every single day and just be in utter awe of how beautiful they are. And to look at the people that you interact with and to see them as the most divine, perfect expression of, of, of you know, creation and just to be in gratitude and be in appreciation. Yeah. So I, thank you for bringing that piece into that. It's, it's interesting because you're thinking of Zen monks, right? I mean, their entire life since they're kids, they're doing the exact same thing every single mm-hmm. day. But I can just imagine them just appreciating it more and more and more mm-hmm. as they get older. Right, that morning breakfast, and then right meditation, and then doing the mandalas or whatever they're sure. doing all day long, yeah. uh-huh. and just getting to appreciate it more. Uh, and I think we can all learn from the Zen monks. I think, or any monk, uh, there's mm-hmm. a lot of lessons to be learned. So, I'd like to close out my interviews with the following question: Okay, who did you have to stop being, mm-hmm. and who did you need to become? to manifest your current success. Mm-hmm. Stop being in order to become. It's awesome. I just did a, a, a speech last week for a company and I had this exact same thing. How do we suspend disbelief in order to, to stop being? Who, who do we need to stop being in order to become? I love it. Okay, so let me, let me take a second here. How did I stop needing to be? I'm going to take it to maybe a different level and I'm going to say I needed to like actually transcend the idea of self that Matt, this apparent being identifying as Matt in this body is anybody having having an effect on and in, in doing certain things and to become this open vessel 
for me, and this is how I feel like I'm designed to respond to whatever it is that life is bringing me in a way that is in the flow and is kind of uh, where I'm being led. So I'm, I had to basically get out of an identity of what I think I should be doing, who I think I should be, how I should be acting, what it should look like, and all the shoulds and all like kind of like the boxy mold of the kind of identity as I'm as I was in the entrepreneur and just step back and realize and strip all that away to become ultimately, you know, the fullest expression of myself in a way that is free from pigeonholing myself into a picture that is very limited because of my perspective. And we have such limited perspectives of ourselves and yet we're so diligent on trying to craft that's like we are we are, we have this minuscule idea and view of who we really are and what we see ourselves to be so how do you just get get rid of that and to be something that like okay what what is what is so far beyond my knowing and how do i create the space for that to come in matt you have come such a long way since the first day i met you at air one uh, demoing your your granola <laughs> yeah. um, and now you have not learned from your first or second business, you yeah. went off and started your third, Subtle Distinctions. Yeah. So yeah. I know because you're such a well-rounded individual and can help so many, tell us a little bit about Subtle Distinctions and how the Seven Hatters can connect with you and receive all that you have to offer. Yeah, thanks for asking about that. Well, so in essence, Subtle Distinctions is a platform that I've co-created with another amazing human being and my new business partner, uh, Linwood Paul. In essence, that takes everything that I have gathered over the last 41 years of my life and specifically blending in the wellness component and the business component and intersecting them in a way that is to be of, uh, of the most service to individuals and, and business teams primarily in a way that we create either custom experiences or programs that are rooted in all the things that we just talked about, all the different virtues based, but that really has the practical and tactical application in a business. So I'm infusing, it's really ultimately, it's a personal growth experience embedded into a professional development context that can bring in all the dynamics from all of our, our collective experiences. So my business partner is 67. He's had a whole amazing different journey. I've had mine. So we have been very, very grateful to work with some incredible people, some incredible teams. And ultimately what we do is we help people get more of what they want, less of what they want, increase their self-awareness, understand how to take care of themselves better, and really create high functioning, performing teams in a way that brings in all these different elements that is uh, unique to a lot of businesses these days, but also is completely accessible and that they can interface with and they don't see as weird or woo-woo. It's very, it's, it's there, but it has the undertones of all of these principles that we've been talking about. So you can check us out at subtledistinctions.com. You can meet, email me at matt at subtledistinctions.com. But ultimately, if there's anything as it relates to a human being, that's where we love to play. And I would say our specialty, you know, is per se. But we've been having an incredible time. And uh, I'm so blessed that I have been able to 
create a space for myself and for others to be in that and actually have that direct platform that I was talking about earlier to, to be with people and be of service in that way. I'll make sure that all the links are in the show notes. Thank you. Matt, you're an inspiration. Thank you. I just, most, most of all, your ability to grind it out and get up after being punched in the gut multiple times and still mm -hmm. keep on getting up is a testament to what a real entrepreneur is. Entrepreneurship and success as an entrepreneur are not the financial rewards, the accolades, the, mm -hmm. uh, the 30 under 30, 40 under 40, whatever you mm -hmm. want to call it. Mm -hmm. Those are nice perks. Mm -hmm. But a successful entrepreneur, to me, in my definition, mm -hmm. is someone, whether they succeeded or failed throughout their whole life, mm -hmm. doesn't matter. If you've mm -hmm. never succeeded once in your whole life, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. ability to get up every morning mm -hmm. and do what you need to do to have that hope of success, mm -hmm. right? Keeping that hope alive and not giving up, to me, that's success. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you. I know and a lot of people, a lot of successful people who have never made money, achieved any mm -hmm. fame, but they mm -hmm. get up and grind every single day. Thank you so much for saying that. And I want to kind of make sure that I uh, reflect my absolute 100% truth back to you, Val. And it's funny because I would say if I, when I look back on my whole journey with, with Young Butter, there's probably like under seven people that really stand out and you are actually one of them because we've had such a fun little unique relationship and i want you to know too that i completely see and also think the same about you as it relates to your your persistence and your dedication and i've seen you through even just the inception of promo mash and the iterations of like beta testing promo mash and and then you know even nuvala and and now with the you know the things that you were just telling me about beforehand about the new products that you're launching and even the podcast so i want to know that um it takes one to know one so i see you brother and um, i really appreciate the opportunity to have connected here and to share our stories with everybody and, and ultimately just hang out with each other. So I love you, man. We'll, we'll, you, we'll have man. you back one day again because the stories are endless. Thank yeah. you, Matt. And we appreciate you, you. Thanks for being a guest on the seven hats. You bet. Take care. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Matt. Let's end today with a show segment that I refer to as what can we hang our hat on? And here's my takeaway. Matt is now an accomplished entrepreneur with 15 years of experience under his belt. But his journey started somewhere else. See, I first met Matt in 2008 when he was a CPG, consumer packaged goods entrepreneur, demoing his brand Yum Butter at Air One, which is an exclusive natural market in Los Angeles, California. I was also a young budding entrepreneur myself, sampling my brand Luvala. I remember locking eyes with Matt and we've become friends ever since. What I love about our friendship is that we share similar experiences growing our brand. You know, I often speak on how difficult being an entrepreneur is and being a founder of a CPG brand adds a level of complexity and difficulty that contributes to the 80% failure rate in this industry. We were both part of this statistic. Matt's brand was acquired and we officially closed down Luvala after trying for 16 years to make it work. Our initial dreams of building great brands and taking over the world did not work out as we dreamed of. However, as I often say, there is no destination in life. 
just a myriad of experiences, you know, good and bad, that make up your journey. Matt took his years of experience and transitioned into a servant leader, helping other entrepreneurs avoid the pitfalls many young founders experience. I created Promash, a company helping brands navigate retail and keep their products on the shelf, something I could not initially achieve. The moral of the story is that so-called failure, if complemented with a never-give-up mindset, allowed Matt and I to keep building, growing, and creating new successful ventures that help others. On Matt's website, spelled out in bold, is the following phrase. Redefine diligence. Deepen engagement. Build resilient growth. You know, that says it all. I want to thank Matt once again for joining me so that we can all benefit from his wisdom. And until next time, if you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you receive from it so that we can attract even more high quality people into our Seven Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success on your journey. And until next time, my name is Yuval Selleck and I tip my hat to you.